0: Theirs is not to reason why. This, of course, is the famous proposition of Lord Alfred Tennyson, often misquoted, ours is not to reason why, to which we could respond with, why is ours not to reason why? The the question why is perhaps the most pervasive and persistent question of, of all of human history. One need only to sit down for, for, with a three-year-old for five minutes before coming to the inevitable conclusion that there is not enough adequate information in the entirety of the universe to satisfy the simple question, why? Parents, you with me on this? You ever notice how they, they seem to say it with like universal inflection? Why? Not only is this question pervasive and persistent, it is also confounding and humbling. Once again, a three-year-old child can, can stump us by simply asking, Daddy, why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to venture a guess and say that the vast majority of us in this room are not astrological physicists and therefore we are not adequately equipped to answer this question. I certainly couldn't answer this question. Well, I mean, I can now, but but that's only because I googled it earlier this week. (laughs) But here's the thing, not all questions are googlable. Right? Put a new word in your lexicon today. Not all questions can be Googled, or, or, or maybe they can be Googled, but, but, but even Google doesn't have all of the answers. Think of some of the more persistent questions that taunt humanity. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Well, the Christian could answer, Like this, the Christian could answer and say, well, in the beginning uh, uh, was God, and God created the heavens and the earth, and he, he created us, male and female, and he created all of it good. He created all of it good. But of course, this answer raises other questions. This answer brings us face to face with the problem of evil and suffering. Which provokes questions like, why would a good God create a good creation only to make it subject to sin? Why does sin exist? Did God create it? Or maybe on a more colloquial, popular level, why would a good God let bad things happen to to good people? Often as Christians, I believe we are satisfied not knowing the answer uh, to this question of evil and suffering. Instead, we are satisfied to know that we have the source of the answer. We believe the answer rests with God and perhaps in his word, but we don't actually have anything resembling an answer. And I submit to you that we have not because we ask not. Why do we fail to ask this question? Is it because it's not on our minds? That's doubtful. I believe we fail to ask this question because we are afraid to wrestle with it. I believe we we fail to ask this question because we are afraid to wrestle with the God that holds the answer. There was a man in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was not afraid to wrestle with this question. Moreover, Habakkuk was not afraid to wrestle with the God who held the answer. And it is to his self-titled book that we now turn. So take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. It's not quite to the New Testament. It's not quite to the middle of the Old Testament. It's somewhere in between. And by the way, never be ashamed to use the index in the front of your Bible. It's Totally okay. Have you got to turn to that thing? all right. If you're going to mark one page in your Bible, mark that one. You'll find all the rest of them from there. So, it might be a little hard to find. It's only three chapters long. We're going to be looking at chapter one and part of chapter two this morning. But before that, I need to give you a little bit of historic uh, background to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was what uh, what biblical scholars refer to as a pre-exilic prophet. In other words, he is a prophet living and ministering in the time leading up to the Babylonian captivity, the time in which the events of the book of Daniel take place, right? Right now, we're currently, Pastor Brian's currently in a series on the book of Daniel. Daniel is an exilic prophet. He's a prophet living and ministering in the time of the Babylonian captivity. But Habakkuk, along with his more familiar contemporary, Jeremiah, was a pre exilic prophet. Habakkuk lives. In a dark time of the history of Israel, Israel was a divided kingdom. Moreover, the northern kingdom had fallen to the powers of the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom, Judah, was entrenched in gross and heinous sin that would not go unpunished. Habakkuk, along with his contemporaries, predicted the coming storm, the imminent threat of the Babylonian captivity and exile. From the promised land. Now, the deplorable state this historic scene paints, it it drives Habakkuk to his knees. It drives Habakkuk to his knees, where he is compelled to ask three questions of God. In verses two through four, he questions God's uh, indifference. And then verses 12 through 17, he questions God's character and God's plan. So he questions God's indifference, he questions uh, God's character, and he questions God's plan. Now, of course, this begs the question who are we to question God? Who are we to question God? Right? Didn't, didn't Job question God? That, that didn't go very well, did it? Right? Job questioned God, and God answered him out of the whirlwind. And how did he answer him? He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you will instruct me. Talk about a come to Jesus moment. Right? But was Job wrong to question God? Was Habakkuk wrong to question God? Are we wrong to question God? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. So without further ado, let's turn our attention to the text. So we're going to start in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice, well, just comes out perverted. The sins of Judah are staggering. And the kingdom, which was set in place by God to be a light to all the world, has become an inhospitable environment for the righteous. Violence and conflict are prevalent. The the wicked are prevailing over the righteous. and, And as a result, the law is being ignored and injustice has become systemic. Moreover, there there is no escaping the situation. The situation Habakkuk is facing is so bad, he cannot turn away. And he cannot turn away because he is surrounded on all sides. There is nowhere for him to turn to. So he does the only thing he can do, and he casts his eyes to heaven, and he cries out, how long? How long, O Lord? How long will I call for help and you will not hear? He's frustrated. He's frustrated, he's angry, he's exhausted, he's upset. He's not the only person to ever feel this way in Scripture, by the way. Habakkuk here, he's echoing the complaint of David from Psalm 13, where David levels the same exact question not once, but four times. In like three verses, David says, How long, how long, how long, how long? Now here's the thing. We don't know how long Habakkuk had been crying out to God, but I think it's pretty safe to assume there had been some length of time. Uh, Enough time to to leave him in wanting. Enough time to leave him feeling that, that God was indifferent to his plight. Have you ever cried out to God in a particularly difficult season of life only to be met by deafening indifference? You cry out to God, but he doesn't seem to hear you. You cry out to God, but his silence leaves you wondering if he's even there. I have certainly been there, and I'm I'm sure you have as well. But here's the thing. God is always listening. God is always listening. So Psalm 116, verse 1, my favorite verse in all of the Bible. If you only write down one reference this morning, write this one down. One, Psalm 116, verse 1, I love the Lord. Why? Because he hears my voice. I love the Lord because he hears my voice if you come up to me and you say, Dan, why do you love Jesus? My answer to you is going to be because he hears my voice. He hears my voice. What's the takeaway from this for us? God is always listening. Do not confuse his perceived inaction with indifference. Do not confuse his perceived inaction with indifference. Near the end of his life, Rich Mullins, who was a famous, some of you might remember him, he was a famous Christian songwriter, singer, songwriter, musician. And near the end of his life, he, Rich Mullins, he, he leveled this question in his song entitled Hard to Get. He's directing this to God, and he says, You who live in eternity, do you hear the prayers of those of us who live in time? We cannot see what's ahead, and we cannot get free from what we've left behind. In these words, Rich Mullins presents us with a beautiful truth. God hears in eternity the prayers that are bound in time. God hears in eternity the prayers that are bound by time. He is not bound by time. He is transcendent. He transcends the past, he transcends the present, he transcends the future, and as Habakkuk is about to find out, he works in all three. God breaks his seemingly indifferent silence in verse 5. Read with me. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. I love the Old Testament, by the way. It's so dramatic. Don't ever let anyone tell you the Bible is boring. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if I told you. Habakkuk is crying out, assuming God was indifferent, but all the while, God was working out his providential will. God already had a plan, and that plan was beyond anything the Habakkuk could comprehend. Something that that he could not believe if he was told. Something he indeed wouldn't believe. Look down at verse 6. For for, for behold, uh, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's another word for Babylonians. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Skip down to verse 11. Then they will sweep through like the wind. Habakkuk cried out, how long? And God broke his silence only to give him an answer he most certainly would not rejoice to hear. Habakkuk was grieved by, by the evils of his own people, and he sought a reprieve from the injustice that surrounded him. But instead of a reprieve, God was raising up a people of unfathomable evil to, 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 to discipline his chosen people. And, and do not underestimate how evil the Babylonians were, right? Right? Because remember, the, the Israelites weren't doing so good. They, they were actually practicing child sacrifice. So if the Israelites are, are practicing child sacrifice, how bad do the Babylonians actually have to be? Pretty bad. Pretty bad. This was not the answer that Habakkuk was hoping for. The account of Habakkuk is a painful reminder That God does not always give us what we want. God does not always give us what we want. Do you remember just a moment ago when I said Rich Mullins wrote hard to get near the end of his life? Do you remember that? Well, it was actually very near the end of his life. Uh, Rich Mullins never had the chance to record the song because he died in a tragic car accident at 41. Incidentally, same age I am. Now, I can't get into the mind of Rich Mullins, but I cannot imagine that that was the answer that he was hoping for. I can't imagine the, 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 that that uh, answer was something that he could even believe if he was told. Uh, imagine with me this. Imagine with me this. Rich casts his eyes to heaven, and he says, You who live in eternity, do you hear the prayers of those of us who live in time? And God replies. God replies to Rich and he says, well, yeah, Rich, actually, I I do. In fact, Rich, I I have a a wonderful plan for you. On on September 19th, 1997, you and your friend Mitch are going to be traveling southbound on on I-39 to a benefit concert at Wichita State University. And you're going to lose control of your Jeep. And because you're not wearing your seatbelt, you're going to be thrown from the jeep into the path of an oncoming tractor-trailer. But then everything will be great. There will be no more waiting in silence. You will exit the waiting room of this world, and you will finally be home with me. I don't know. Maybe Rich would have said, Glory, give me the keys. But I think it's more likely that he would have struggled with that answer. Why? Well, for the same reason that any of us would struggle with that answer, right? Because God doesn't always give us the answer we want. He doesn't always give us the answer we want, and, and, and certainly he doesn't always give us the answer we want in the way we want. He doesn't always give us the answer we want, but but he he always gives us the answer that we need. He listens and he answers every single One of our questions in accordance to his infinite wisdom and will for our good and his glory. And sometimes those answers, they're just unbelievable. God told Habakkuk, I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And sure enough, Habakkuk couldn't believe it. Look down with me at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. O Lord, you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they. Habakkuk replies to God with a a very bold question. Very bold question. He asks God, he asks him, are you not from everlasting? When he asks, are you not from everlasting? He is questioning the nature and character of God. He's questioning the nature and character of God. He, he, he is, in effect, saying, listen, I thought you were transcendent. I thought you were all-powerful. I thought you were all-wise. I thought you were all-just. Why, therefore, are you silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous? As one commentator notes, the prophet's question arose out of an apparent inconsistency between God's actions and his character. This question arose out of an apparent inconsistency between God's actions and his character. Now, this is simple Sesame Street logic, right? One of these things is not like the... One of these things doesn't belong, right? It just doesn't make sense. Something's not adding up. Two plus two is not equaling four. Something is profoundly wrong. Now, for many of us, for many of us, we encounter a difficult question like this and we, we throw our hands up in the air and, and, and we say something like, well, well, listen, it's, it's just a mystery. It's just a mystery and you, you, just, you just kind of have to accept it by faith. And, and if we overheard someone questioning God like this, we would probably be tempted to conclude that that person just doesn't have enough faith. But Habakkuk is, is far from faithless. He's far from faithless. Habakkuk is far from asking a faithless question. On the contrary, he's asking an extraordinarily honest question. And here's the thing about extraordinarily honest questions. They require extraordinary faith. Habakkuk wasn't faithless. Habakkuk was perplexed. He was perplexed because in faith there were things he believed and affirmed. He believed that God was Lord. The actual word here is Yahweh. The I am that I am. The great self-existent one. He believed that God was Yahweh. He believed that God was holy. He believed that God was faithful. He believed that God was sovereign. He believed that God was pure. He affirms all of these things in this text. He, He just struggles to rationalize what he believes about God with the reality of his situation. Habakkuk wasn't Faithless, Habakkuk was perplexed. And he does something that requires an extraordinary amount of faith. He brings his very honest question to God. You see, Habakkuk understood something that we often fail to comprehend. Our questions are the ground on which faith and reason intersect. Our questions are the ground on which faith and reason intersect intersect. Often, we live with insufficient answers, not because we have enough faith to live with the mystery, but because we have too little faith to deal with the perplexities of our faith. We walk around with a half-hearted, anemic faith that desperately wants to believe what it proclaims, but doesn't actually believe. Why? Well, because we are afraid to wrestle with the difficult questions. Why? Because we're afraid to, to, to wrestle with the God who holds the answers. Now, maybe you're genuinely okay with simply having faith for the mystery. That's fine. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But, but here's the thing. The world is filled with unbelievers who are struggling with the difficult questions of life. And they have rejected Christianity because it seems like a fairy tale to them. And it seems like a fairy tale to them because it has been presented to them like a fairy tale. Maybe you don't need to wrestle with the questions, but someone else does. Wrestle through the questions for them. Wrestle through the questions for their sake. That way, you will be able to fulfill Peter's exaltation, right? To always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the what? The reason for the hope that you have. A few weeks ago, I was in class. Uh, Some of you might know I'm in seminary. And a few weeks ago... Uh, we were in class and we were discussing the problem of evil. And and for those of you who care to know, the theological term for the problem of evil is theosity. So if you want to impress people at a small group and you get talking about this subject, you'll be like, well, according to modern theories of theosity. I digress. you got a new word for your lexicon. So anyways, so, so we're discussing theosity, and, and, and one of the students began to, to get quite frustrated with the discussion. And, and she said, I don't know why we're even discussing this. We're never going to be able to answer the question. And at this point, I chimed in. And I said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. We're never going to be able to give a definitive answer. However, we can give a reasonable answer. And you know, I think that's all the world is, is looking for. I don't think they're looking for, for definitive answers as much as they are reasonable ones. And here's the thing. We have a faith of reason. Christianity is not a call to blanket blind faith. It's not. The Bible is a very rational book. The Bible is actually very honest with the problem of suffering. The Bible does not shy away from the problem of evil. On the contrary, the Bible deals with it quite boldly. I I can't think of a single story from the Bible that doesn't at some level deal with the problem of evil. In fact, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that the Bible is really all about the problem of evil and God's plan to overcome it. The Bible holds the answers. We just need to be willing to ask the questions. God holds the answers to our questions. And like Habakkuk, we just need to be willing to wrestle him for those answers. That's exactly what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk asks, and then he waits. Look down at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand on my guard post and I will station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk is back to where he was when we started. God is silent. So Habakkuk will do as he did before. He will wait. But notice his waiting He's in active waiting. He's not just waiting, he is also watching. He sees himself as a sentinel standing guard on a high tower awaiting the arrival of a great dignitary. He doesn't know when he will arrive, but, but when he arrives, he will be ready to receive him. Now, on this point, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Sometimes good questions... Demand silence. Sometimes good questions demand silence. Don't be too quick to search for or offer a trite answer. Sometimes answers don't come through intellectual effort. Sometimes answers don't come through Facebook memes. Sometimes answers only come through experience. Sometimes you have to live through the pain of the question to find the answer. Growing up, I had an awesome pastor. I grew up in the church, if you didn't know that. My pastor, his name was Pastor Schmidt. That was back in the days when you used last names. He was Pastor Schmidt. And uh, Pastor Schmidt, I am so thankful for his ministry and influence over my life. He's one of the greatest men of God I have ever known in my entire life, incredibly godly man. And uh, his son, Steve, was quite a bit older than me and he was a missionary in Germany. And Steve uh, was home on furlough and he was guest preaching at a church. And he raised his hands up into the air to, to make a point and then he collapsed into the pulpit and he died on the platform of a brain aneurysm. It was absolutely devastating. Absolutely devastating. Not long after Steve passed away, my, my pastor was visiting a church and um, a, a, a well-intended but misguided lady came up to him and said, you know what? the Lord let Steve pass away so that he could grow your faith. And this very godly, mature man turned to this lady and said, I don't want to grow in my faith. I want my son back. He gave an honest answer. He was being honest with with the situation and, and maybe more importantly, he was being honest with the condition of his own heart. I just want to I want to quickly come back to the question that we started off with: Was Job wrong to question God? Was Habakkuk wrong to question God? Are we wrong to question God? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say, no, we're not. Here's the thing about Job. Job, um, he didn't pull any punches. He didn't pull any punches. If you read the book of Job, um, yeah, he kind of gives God what for. Um, But obviously, as we already read, in God's reply, he doesn't hold back either. But here's the fascinating thing about the book of Job. It it ends with, with... God validating, vindicating, and affirming Job. Do you remember Job's friends? Those guys that were quick with the answer to the problem? The guys who were quick with the trite answer? God speaks to them. He speaks to them, and he says to them, you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job. Has. God affirms Job in his questioning. Why? Well, because God can handle our tough questions. God can qu- handle our tough questions and maybe more importantly, God can handle our hardened hearts. And I think part of the reason God welcomes our questions, our hard questions, our tough questions, is because our questions draw us to and keep us in the presence of God. Our questions draw us to and keep us in the presence of God. See, the the problem isn't that we ask questions. The problem isn't that we have questions in our heart. Things go sideways when we take those questions and we do nothing with them. Things go sideways when we take those questions, we leave them unresolved, our hearts get hardened, and we walk away from the Lord. That's when things really go sideways. But when those questions draw us into the presence of God and they keep us there, that's when new life comes. That's when when our faith, it takes a lot of faith to ask questions. Right? God affirmed Job. He affirms Habakkuk. He affirmed David. Why? Because they were, really, because they were perfect people? No. Be- because they loved God enough to ask the question. Because they wanted to be near him and they wanted to be with him. Now, that's pretty much all I have for you this morning. And uh, from here on out, we're going to do things a little differently this morning. We're going to take communion in uh, a couple of moments but before we do that we're going to listen to a song uh, by a guy named andrew peterson and the song is called the silence of god so we'll listen to the song and then we'll take communion um, but for those of you who are joining us from home um, there is potentially some conf- uh, some uh, copyright issues so we're actually going to pause the audio for this portion of the service uh, because we don't want the live stream to get shut down. We don't want to get in trouble with YouTube. Um, so we're going to pause the audio for this part of the service. But for those of you who are at home, if, uh, if you look just below this video, in the description below, there is a link to the song. So you can you can listen to the song on your own. And then we'll all uh, come back together here in a couple of moments. And we'll take communion together. Uh, but before we do that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the great love that you have for us. We thank you so much, Lord, that you welcome our questions and are most eager to answer them. And Lord, we, we know, we understand that we are trapped in time and you are eternal and your perspective is so much bigger than ours. So Lord, give us patience to wait for the questions, that you eagerly want to answer. In your name, amen.